All right, welcome in to episode 16 of This Esports Life. That was pretty good. Yeah? <laughs> pretty good, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did I, I, I think I spliced the beginning, though. I said, okay. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Squeaks, you reached out to me. You wanted to interview me. Yeah, for sure, dude. I feel like uh, I've known you for a long time, uh, sort of from a, a distance online, but... When I look at sort of a, your career arc, it seems like it's just jumping around from pillar to pillar, but I really wanted to get to know sort of the nitty gritty of what happened, what led to what. And so for like a brief roadmap of our conversation, I just wanted to start with sort of the origin, you know, how, it's, how it all started. And so we can better understand sort of what the future is for your career and in the long run, what the future is for sort of the esports industry. So my first question is something that I've been dying to ask you for a very long time. What is the origin of the name Launders? Do you not know the answer to this? I genuinely have no no clue. Really? Okay. So the origin to the name, there's no, like, there's no actual etymology to the name. I like, it's not a word. I wanted to create a name because I like, um, like I like typography. And I like how words look and sound. So I, I tried to pick a name that looks good in uppercase, lowercase, that sounded like a pronoun, like a name. And uh, I didn't have to like every letter. I was more concerned with it sounding like a name, but not actually being one. So, you know, as a moniker I made when I was in 22 or 23, when I was going to do YouTube again. And it was kind of a way to make a name that wasn't, you know, Death Scythe, which was the name I had in StarCraft in 2002, <laughs> right? So I could be Launders. It's like a little bit more mature, but it's still like kind of just like friendly. And um, I wanted to just be like something I could use all the time. That was pretty unique. So, yeah. Just for the look of it, I guess. Just There's the no... look and the sound. Yeah. I, honestly, a little disappointed. I thought there'd be some <laughs> hardcore, like, like you know, in-depth meaning, you know, if you squint and looked at the word a certain way, you know, it's B-hop <laughs> or some shit. <laughs> yeah like i know i'm a pretty fascinating dude so i can understand why you would think that but uh, no but you know you look like a fascinating dude but on the inside it's just uh you know we're all the same at the end of the day squeaks we're all oh, the that's same that's right all right good to know yeah. <laughs> and then i also want to know just a little bit more about your childhood and about like the situation that you're in growing up and more importantly just sort of like what student were you like you know in school okay this is good. Kids could be kind of a long one. So I think we start back all the way in the beginning. I don't know if I've, I think I said this, this is going to be like the exclusive. I think I said it once on the Richard Lewis show, but once, like when I was really young, I was actually born in Montreal. And then um, there was some issue with uh, my, 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 so my mom and dad came over here from Malaysia. And then there was an immigration issue. My dad couldn't live with us. And then um, my mom actually ran away to like London, Ontario with me. And then, um, so I was born in Montreal, moved to London, Ontario, and then it was like me and my mom. Uh, and then I lived in a, I actually lived in a group home for like five years. And then I lived in a women's shelter with my mom until I was 11 years old or something. And then we moved, moved out. I went to middle school in Toronto. I, played games from when I was around like 11 or 12. I remember like trying to convince my mom to get me a computer. It was like a really expensive, it was probably like 
eleven twelve hundred dollar like ibm pc it was like a piece of shit but <laughs> i was like i couldn't explain to my mom like what a computer was for and i always used to uh lie to her and tell her i was going to do homework at a internet cafe so i could go and play you know 1.5 uh, or starcraft or something with my friends for an hour but i th after i got a computer i convinced them to get, my, get me a computer i think i told her i'd help me do homework or help me with some of these skills with people in school Mm -hmm. um, I started playing StarCraft, and then I got pretty decent at StarCraft. I had like a B plus on PGT, which was like pretty decent. And then I also would play like Counter Strike on the side. Like everyone in Toronto played Counter Strike on the side or as their main game. Like the two big posters you'd see on internet cafes would be Counter Strike and StarCraft. And then you go in, and Warcraft wasn't popular yet. And you would just go in, you play Counter Strike, you play StarCraft with your friends. Like use map settings type of games. Like like kind of like how Dota started, like those type of games you'd play in, in StarCraft, or you just like hop on an offline server in 1.5 and like turn on the wall hacks that were on the internet P PCs, on the internet cafe PCs, and like <laughs> kill your friends or whatever. After that, I I didn't really do anything like esports related. I when I moved into high school, I was a terrible student. So when I was, you know, in grade nine, I remember like my grade nine. I think I was smart moving into high school and something that we talked about before the episode started just about like kind of like your like kind of innate intelligence and I, I think I had some of that like I wasn't super super intelligent but I think it showed that I was like somewhat intelligent and I went to a really terrible high school not because we lived we actually didn't live in a terrible area I just yeah. went to the closest high school to where my apartment was and my mom didn't really like know about how to pick high school so I ended up at one of the bottom four percent high schools in Toronto just by like pure chance and um I remember my uh my high school English teacher Mr. Williams one of those influential teachers I had on me um he was like Mohan you know at the beginning of the semester you went from here you know his hand his hand way up here he's like and then by the end of the semester you're down here and I was like oh my god like that hit me really hard but <laughs> it really didn't change me because all of my friends like I had a certain way of being around them and I definitely try to be cool and it's kind of like if you weren't hard in any way then you weren't gonna like survive high school basically so especially not in my school so you know when i was like 15 i definitely did the whole like you know hang out in the park uh drink smoke weed and all that stuff and then i did that for a while to be honest and then in my last year of high school i had to i decided i would like buckle down and try to get into university and in Canada, you're actually fortunate enough that you none of your grades matter except for your last six credits. So in the last year, you get eight credits, and your top six are what get you into school. And so I was like, all right, last year, I got to buckle down. I actually took an extra year to graduate. And that year, I buckled down from the last six credits, got like 84% or something, an average, and then got it to the University of Toronto. And then I studied like social sciences and stuff. And this, how it ended up, you know, with the way I am now is I, um, I was Counter-Strike Global Offensive came out like 2012 or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was in my third year of philosophy. And then I had deleted Steam in that last year of high school because I couldn't, couldn't stop myself from playing games. I wasn't responsible enough. And I was like, you know, I just got to stop. I can't, I can't create a balance here. So I did that, and then I stopped playing. I didn't play games from when I was 17 until I was 22 at all. No games at all. 
And then, wow. yeah, when I was 22, I was CSGO came out and I was like, whoa, you know, I'm probably older, a little bit more responsible. I could probably, you know, manage, manage my time better. And so I installed Counter-Strike Global Offensive. So like, I can play this game in my free time. And then I started playing a lot. And then I realized very quickly, my grades already started slipping. And I was like, okay, I am not super happy in school. I don't know what I'm really doing here. I kind of jumped around from sociology to anthropology, like all these social sciences, and then finally philosophy. And I was enjoying philosophy, but I learned that to become a high school teacher, which is what my initial aspiration was, was to, I, I needed to have like a second teachable and there was nothing else that interested me besides philosophy. So I was like, you know what? Um, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but I can't keep playing Counter-Strike. So I've either got to find a way to um, make a living playing Counter-Strike or I've got to quit and go back to school. And I knew that I had to jump in with both feet for either one um, for my, you know, the, the way I was. Um, and the reason I decided to try to start a YouTube channel and like, you know, stop going to school was because I saw that after the arms deal update happened in, it was like August of 2013, the, I went to check the steam charts for Counter-Strike and I saw it jump from like, 20 to 40,000, like doubled, you know, the amount of players at that time. And I saw skins and I really saw the potential. I was like, you know, this game is going to take the fuck off. You know, it's going to, it's going to get really big. And I was like, I had seen um, a couple of YouTubers, specifically Husky Starcraft and HD Starcraft. And these were two YouTubers that kind of uploaded commentaries on Starcraft of professional games. And Husky was really funny. And HD was the guy who was popular because he would sometimes do duo commentaries with Husky. But in my opinion, he was actually trash. And he had a giant channel, like 300,000 subs or something at the time. And I told myself if, this was my motive, this is, how, this is my motivator. I told myself if HD can get 300,000 subs with his like trash videos, I can, and you know, all respect to HD, he was, you know, found an opportunity and did the best he could or whatever. I just don't think he was great. But, you know, I wouldn't want someone calling me trash or whatever, but um, I, saw that if he could do it and I saw that I could do much better, I thought I could do a much better job than him, then I could be, I could be successful for sure. And I saw Counter-Strike was doing really well. So I decided to start the YouTube channel. Yeah, that's actually, I really wanted to focus a lot on that competitive aspect that you had, that you were grinding the ladder of StarCraft really early on. Seems like, you know, the, the sort of the conception of your YouTube channel was looking at other people's YouTube channel. Where do you think this came from? And, and do you think that this, competitive nature like why was it just solely for gaming i would assume if you were super competitive which it sounds like you you are it would sort of translate into your grades and to other aspects of your you know of growing up so why gaming was like why was that a good competitive outlet for you that's actually a really interesting question because and i i think that makes sense that if i was com truly competitive i would have been competitive in all aspects and i would say i'm not not actually that competitive or that I wasn't that competitive at you know certain parts of my life. I did probably get into StarCraft because I did cross country when I was younger. I did. Um, my mom would always save up some money for like one thing for me to learn. Like so, I'd go do, do gymnastics and then we'd go do taekwondo and then I would get braces and then I would like you know get signed <laughs> up for all these different like things that and they're usually sports or competitive type of things. So I was always kind of like. Uh, I, I always ended up doing sports or, or athletic activities, but more than anything, I definitely always like competing against myself. And that's what attracted me to StarCraft, which I felt like was 
a 1v1 game where you know you didn't have to rely on teammates you didn't blame teammates it all came back to you and i think there's an aspect of like hating yourself that like all runners have that they kind of like enjoy like beating themselves up type of thing and i feel like that right. translates well to 1v1 games where it takes a lot of mental strength and pride in your mental strength to be able to like grind through ladders you know with what people would call that ladder anxiety where it's like very difficult to like get yourself to put yourself on the line like that um but I definitely, I don't think I was all that competitive when I was younger. And I've become a lot more competitive as I've gotten older, especially in this last time I played Counter-Strike. And I'm actually very thankful for that. I'm not yeah, sure if that totally I mean, why do you question. think that competitive aspect, like what made it develop? Was it just part of growing up or was there some external factor that contributed to that? I think I, the competitive aspect, like I didn't expect to want to play on a team in Counter-Strike. So like I never really liked 5v5. I just didn't like having teammates and stuff and I, I learned to like it so it was kind of an acquired taste that was forced down my throat but I think if I was more competitive I would have been pro in the time that I spent playing Counter-Strike so that that's that's definitely what I believe and I, I think at times I was probably too okay with um not winning or you know I, I, de I did center a lot of my persona around this guy who never got mad and that was who I was on YouTube um, I don't think I've ever really said that before, but that's, you know, who I was on YouTube and when I would play my matchmakes and I would just like, you know, I had like a game called um, How to Make ESA Main Players Upset and we played against, you know, we played matchmaking and played against these main players and we were super proud about winning and it was like, you know, guys like don't say anything back to them even though they're talking shit and like that was, that was who I am and I think a lot of people like were like, how does he do that? And I think in reality, I think I basically just didn't want to win enough. I, I I imagine if I wanted to win more, there's there's probably a point where I wouldn't be able to control how angry I got. I guess. I don't know. I definitely think I am mentally strong, but um, I think if I was more competitive right from the jump, I probably would have been pro. Yeah, that's actually really seems like a pretty unique case. I mean, I know when I play matchmaking, it's the most infuriating experience of my life each game. Uh, but just sort of to change gears a little bit, you also mentioned, like, just in your initial question, that your initial goal was to become a high school teacher, particularly in philosophy. In your interview with DDK, you also mentioned that you enjoyed teaching people. Did this also originate from your KZ videos, or did it come from something beyond that, particularly in philosophy? Another great question, Akil. Uh, you know, uh, you're yeah. killing it. <laughs> so when I was... The, the teaching thing, I, I think there's some... There's some air of narcissism when it comes to teaching. I don't think in a really like negative. People just throw that word around, and that's kind of what I'm right. doing now. But I think when like wh who I was as a person, as a friend, I was the kind of guy who would like kind of take the high road, like try to teach people stuff, or be like a very overbearing friend if I believed in somebody. Like I, uh, my friend Daniel was really good at rapping, and the reason like I have those rap videos out is because I really wanted him to become a famous rapper. So what I did was I learned how to rap and I was always inspired by him. And like, like to the point that we did a talent show together, I actually like choked on stage, like in front of what? my high school. And uh, it was really bad. I choked on stage <laughs> and it was because I was super self-conscious about the last four bars of my second verse. And then I changed it the day of. So like all this time I spent memorizing like what I was gonna say, just unraveled it to write new bars. So I felt like it didn't flow well enough. And I got up on stage, got the last four bars, totally forgot my lines, just silence. 
and then uh, they stopped the music and my teacher in the back is like doing the soundboard in the back of the auditorium. I was like, I was like so confident. I was like, just like roll and run it again, like play the beat again. And I like did the whole verse again. And I literally forgot, I just blanked out right at the same last four bars and got booed off stage. But I did. You got that. booed? That's Boot, sad. Booed off stage, That's so yeah. Sad. No, it was just, I got the, you know, I got like a, you know, a bunch of pretty uh, demoralizing sympathy hugs after that. <laughs> um, but I did that. I did that all because like I wanted Daniel because I believe in Daniel like so badly that he was going to be famous and like I really wanted to like help him get there and I still have a part of that with me. But that was like a almost a negative personality flaw that I think drove me to like have an aptitude for teaching and for like helping people get better. I don't know if it's, I haven't really psychoanalyzed it. Like, I don't know if it's because I want to be a part of someone's success or take credit for it. Or if I want to, if I feel like, um, I'm, you know, I kind of get off on being able to articulate myself well or something. I have no idea what exactly it is, but I think that that is what drove me to want to teach in the first place. And, um, in Counter-Strike, like, what I was, what happened, it was so organic. Like I would go into KZ servers and I would literally hold someone's hand who was brand new to KZ and anything I was passionate about, I had everyone else had to love to. So I would go into a KZ server and someone wouldn't know how to KZ at all or don't know a map. And I'm this guy who's like, I knew about this niche thing called KZ. No one was KZing and I know all about it and I would love to teach you. And I would help hold their hand through an entire map, teach them all the jumps. And then I did that over and over again to the point that it was like I created a need for myself to make tutorials. And that's why I started the YouTube channel. It was very organic. So I made a KZ tutorials and like different jumps or different like tricks and stuff like that. And that's pretty much where like it got like this whole movement guy type of reputation from. Right. That's actually a... It's pretty endearing. I, I remember having a similar experience with someone holding my hand through uh, KZ servers. Just yeah, like and now nice. I do that in matchmaking, so you get to... Oh, my. I swear. <laughs> Concentrate down memory lane. All right, well, you know, you got boosted, but no problem. Um, <laughs> I actually... One, one more question sort of about the origin of your career. When you decided... So f sort of a two-parter. First part, what was sort of like the tipping point for when you knew you were going to jump in, you know, fully commit to esports for the long run. And then my second question is what was your mom's reaction initially to this? Uh, because I know, you know, we both come from Indian backgrounds. And if I, like, my parents would destroy me if I chose anything but, you know, something a little bit unconventional. So what was your mom's reaction to this sort of your unconventional career path initially? So my mom is a very interesting woman. Like, I, I come from an atypical family. Um, my mom ran away from home to elope with her, her pen pal, who I'm not even sure if they ever met, to get married. Uh, and they ran away to Canada to get married. And wow. so my mom was crazy. She would like, it, it, she was, she would she, like dye her hair when no one else would do that. And her mom was, her mom is very traditional. You know, it's grandmother at this point. And so she, she was the firstborn as well. So it's not even like, but she's always had like the youngest to survive, which is really strange. But she would take care of like her the rest of her like six sisters and two brothers, and she had to cook and learn how to do everything. And and her and her mom wouldn't let her leave home or get married for the longest time, so she ran away. That's why she ran away. Um, and so I think when she you know growing up with her, 
it was just this the woman who was very like unassuming extremely nice extremely kind and i never like got to meet my dad until i was like 12 because of this visa like immigration issue um i i never really knew i didn't even really know how nice she was really like I, it's kind of weird like because i didn't have any other points of reference i knew like other parents it was normal for other parents like not let their kids do crazy things but i didn't realize how open my mom would be to letting me do different different kind of things like i um and i have to thank her for that i mean one like once i i used to work a lot of jobs in high school and one job i had i really hated to death and that was the butcher shop i worked as a butcher for like two years and it was like i would go like on weekends and it, you know during the winter it was particularly terrible in an open market the door would open you just feel that cold air come in and you're like hands are already cold and it was you know to work morning to night and i hated it and i didn't have another job lined up and i told my mom you know i think i owed her some money and i said like i really hate this job like i just want to quit and she like said that's she said that's fine you can quit and i was like i had no idea she'd even say that <laughs> um that was that was like really eye-opening for me and i really appreciated that and throughout all the other things that i tried I tried to you know, start a clothing line i tried the wrapping thing i did like a bunch of stuff that was like, not going to make money right away it wasn't a paycheck it wasn't a nine to five type of thing and she never really understood any of the things i did but she still let me do them uh and when it came to the youtube channel that was the most far removed from anything that she had possibly been exposed to in the past where it was on the internet which she doesn't use uh it was in esports was something she's never heard of it was video games which is like not something you're supposed to make money from and uh but i, I don't know if she believed in me or if she just felt like she couldn't stop me because that might have been it too but she kind of just like said okay when i said i want to stop doing school i want to do this like i see an opportunity she just let me do it and i just um i just basically lived at home and you know made these youtube videos for no dollars a month and i just for me like i like I knew, like I, I always, I had that like, Chief Keef said the same thing, like when he was, we, we were talking about rappers in the past, like Chief Keef was, uh, comes from the worst, you know, comes from the worst place in Chicago ever, like no chance of making it. And he has said very plainly, like he always knew he'd make it. It was just a matter of when. And that's how I've always felt. Like I never even felt like it would be hard. I felt like I would just do what I want and then I would be able to get there. And so I know, I don't know if that's true. I just know that that's been true in my experience. Um, in fact, I think I was, I had rose colored glasses on more so before I made it than now, after I, I see all of the kind of different points of failure that could happen um, and like how you should be careful. But that might be because now, you know, I have so much, I think that's just a symptom of growing old where you become more responsible and you realize like, whoa, what was I thinking? Like, how could I have done, you know? But I definitely just kind of always had that like belief that I would be able to do it, so. Oh, totally. I mean, I think there's also sort of a bias that plays into it. Like, I'm sure for every one of you who says, you know, super passionate and really believes in themselves, there's a ton of other people that are in the same boat, but just haven't gotten their break. So I think that also plays into effect in, in but that do you, situation. Do you think that those people won't get their breaks? So I, I think, re I mean, realistically, no, I, I honestly don't think mm -hmm. most people who want to make a name for themselves in the industry, statistically, will probably not. Right. I think and that's similar in Hollywood. That's similar in any sort of niche. I think it's sort of an unfortunate reality. So what do you think? What do you think if they were um, smart? What if they, you know, above average intelligence uh, and had like a pretty good game plan? Do you think there's still like a high chance of failure or do you think all those people get there? 
I mean, I don't want to generalize in any aspect, but I still think there's a high chance of failure. I think there are, especially like in, in Hollywood, I think there's really a lot of good looking guys who are really good actors, you know, who just haven't quite gotten the break. I think there's some saying about like luck and opportunity sort of when they meet. Mm-hmm. I forget what it is, but I think it's the same thing in esports. Like, I remember looking at even in CSGO, there's so many talented main and premier players uh, that I think that would mesh really well on these pro teams. But whether it's, you know, luck or timing, I think that they just haven't gotten that break. And unfortunately, the reality is most of them won't, even though that, they, you know, they're really cut out for it. See, I don't know. That's just sort of a personal thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it does come down to belief. Like I, like my personal view on luck um, is that there is a certain amount of luck, but I think that it can be combated really quick. Like I, I feel like, uh, like for example, we both know how important networking is. So I think on the outside, people see a player like Stewie, and you see that he's played, you know, he played two hundred pugs a month uh, to get attention and. Uh, to get to where he is now, where he's really good, but he was very lucky to you know even have the chance to get on Cloud Nine. But what people don't know is that when he was playing 200 pugs a month, he was also networking like crazy. Like that's how I met him. And then when I played with him, uh, we played scrims, and then we saw how good he was, and then we invited him to play on um, our team for Sevo Pro placement. This open player, random open player, which they were a million studies at the time. And then he got noticed to play with Ocean because he networked so hard. He networked so hard to the point that he got his to play on Cloud9 without even trying out for the team. So I, I feel like there is there is so much um, with successful people that has to do with like the smart moves they make that they can combat a lot of the what normal people would call um, luck. And I, I don't know, you know, if there are people like Stewie who never made it, I, no one knows the question to that. The answer to that question, like the the likelihood is obviously that, well, the, the answers are either that there aren't a lot of Stewies or that a lot of Stewies failed. But I I personally believe that you can really like, you can kind of create your own luck by being smart about like the way that you um, manage your time and create opportunities through like networking, for example, which I think is really important. Oh, totally. I, you know, I don't disagree with you on that, but I think there's sort of a survivorship bias when it comes to people like Stewie. Like, of course, in retrospect, it could seem very calculated and it seems very, you know, like he really carved his own way. But it, you know, like, as you said, it's really impossible to see if there's someone like Stewie, but my money is there is like someone who's, equal, you know, has equal amount of potential really works hard on networking, but they're never going to make it and we'll never hear about them, which is just really depressing for me to say. (laughs) I I seem like such a cynic, but I really do believe that it's sort of people look at things in a very short term, but in reality, I think in the long term, most people just won't make it in such a a competitive and saturated industry like Mm -hmm. Counter-Strike. Okay, and then just sort of to shift gears a little bit, uh, I, I actually learned a lot about your origin right there. I had no idea about half that shit, but I, I want to sort of change gears to sort of the current state of your career, current state of Counter-Strike. What was the most memorable game that you ever casted? The most memorable game that I ever casted. So I actually, 
a long time ago, before there were any rules about this, I bet on a game that I didn't know I was going to cast um, between Mythic and some other team, and it was like very like there was no chance. There was like very low chance that there. It was like one of the safe, like a safe bet or something. Um, it was like one oh, super old Sivo match, I think. And uh, I remember having to cast completely unbiasedly as I watched Mythic throw like a giant lead against a way worse team to secure me like a 10% return on my bet uh, into like overtime. And that was probably the most uh, memorable, and all for a good reason, but probably the most memorable game that I've ever casted. So just watching myself slowly potentially come to losing like a bunch of money. Yeah, I feel like that'd be impossible to stay unbiased, especially if there's a lot of money on the line. Yeah. Um, and then what do you have any regrets in your career? I think we were talking earlier about, you know, just trying to be really calculated in networking in particular, but just in any of your business decisions when it comes to casting, do you have anything that you look back on that you wish you could change some sort of interaction or big business decision? Not sure about any one particular uh, big business decision. I think overall, just my mentality about the way that I approached the opportunity I had. I think um, we're at a time where Counter Strike has um, you know, started to either decline or level off, and I think that um, I, I was having this conversation with uh, Travis, who is a League of Legends interviewer and content creator um, at my place the other day, and he. You know, he is in, in League of Legends is in the same kind of place where it's just one of the legacy esports that is now kind of tapering off or leveling off. And he said he felt like he uh, wish he put more emphasis on creating a lot and a lot better content during the time that everything was on the rise. And thinking about the fact that I got into Counter Strike and started a YouTube channel on the premise that this would be something that would or like would be a tide that would rise with me in it. And you know, not making some of the better content that I could have made. I I think that I um, should have up the taken my YouTube channel more seriously, up the frequency and type of content. Those are definitely some of my biggest regrets, um, especially now where it feels like even if I do content that that's good, that I will not even get the same reception. You know, as like the Swag Crosshair placement or Stewieology. Like it feels like almost a waste even to. Um, spend time doing that and I almost feel somewhat stuck with the with the channel as it stands thinking about what type of content to put on it because you don't want to anger your previous population uh, or previous subscribers but you can't be you you might still waste your time even making content that they would have already absorbed because a lot of these people have moved on to other games or don't watch esports or just subscribe four years ago and even have their YouTube account um, and with casting, I feel like I could have improved as a caster a lot more quickly. The only thing about that is that, and for years, I feel like I was just, you know, not maybe not years, but for a while, I felt like I was basically single-handedly ruining broadcast by not understanding what it meant to entertain people and how to, uh, how to create um, a voice that was enjoyable to listen to and present information properly. And I, I guess I could have learned how to do that more quickly. Um, I can't say I was never not thinking about improving because I always was, but it's I basically only randomly hit my stride at some point in the last year 
And if I had, I think if I had figured that out more quickly, I feel like it would have, you know, definitely be, be, I would definitely now be in the tier one of talent cast majors and everything like that. So, um, learning faster with casting, however, I, I don't know if I can get mad at myself about that and, uh, taking my YouTube channel more seriously, which I feel like is a giant part of my uh, personal brand. It has a lot, has like a really giant impact on like how happy I am as a person, I think my just my mental well-being to be honest and um makes me feel like i'm uh, i'm my boss which is a really big goal of mine totally um so i think just throughout these answers i've noticed sort of a trend between you, you often break things down to a very like philosophical or general uh you know determination i think so in particular with the skills that you've learned in CSGO or casting or making a brand, how has that helped you in everyday life? And in particular, like, how has it helped you with your habits? So I think in general, it has helped all, all these things like brand building and just knowing how to upload and like getting stuff done. It's increased my productivity. You know, it's like Jordan Peterson wrote that book and about like the 11 rules for life or whatever it is. And he's like, you know, make your bed in the morning. And the whole premise of making your bed is not because like, making your bed actually changes the world in any way, but it helps you get used to like put yourself in a habit that kind of helps you become a little bit more productive, do a little bit better every day. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, in being my own boss in um, trying to get better at things and having to meet deadlines, all these types of things is increased my productivity a lot uh, in trying to improve my personal brand. I've learned how to be a lot better in social situations. I think I definitely had some, social awkwardness when I first uh, what, like got into into the scene and I definitely don't feel like I have um, that same social awkwardness now. I mean, I'm learning every day because being a good networker is kind of like this thing you could never, you know, you can never really max out as a skill. You can always just get better at it. So, totally. um, but I think, you know, uh, talking to important people all the time, uh, talking to popular people, trying to constantly trying to figure out how to be more well-liked uh, trying to convince people to do things, trying to convince people to en enjoy doing things or like working with people, delegating all these skills, I think has improved me um, as a networker. And I think in my day-to-day -day life, um, that comes across when I, like I, I, I can kind of recognize an opportunity. I kind of know when I need to say something or when I shouldn't. And I definitely think that no matter what I do in the future, um, that ability to network that I've like, Kind of refined over the years is going to benefit me a lot. Um, no, totally. So I, I feel like a lot of the listeners are maybe younger uh, and wanting to start a career in esports. Maybe they're attending college. What advice would you give them uh, trying to pursue a similar career to yours, but starting right now where CSGO is sort of stag a little bit stagnant, maybe on the decline? But what advice would you do it in sort of today's landscape of esports? I wouldn't try to start a career as a CSGO personality. As you're saying, uh, you're kind of catching something on the decline. I think if you look at it's it's inspiring to see that somebody can blow up in a matter of months. You can have Ninja go from some guy in his room who has, um, you know, he had a couple thousand viewers, so he's still a very popular streamer, but somebody who was just another streamer to somebody who was at Mark Cuban's birthday listening to Stevie Wonder, um, you know, with his wife and has two million more 
more followers than the uh, famous celebrity that he duoed with at the Pro AM um, uh, at the uh, most watched esports event of all time, and was the star of the. You know, I mean, he's he's yeah. seeing people like that blow up in two months. It should be inspiring, and and I think should tell you something. But a, a huge reason for like Ninja success is Fortnite, and a huge reason for like where the person I am and where I am today is because of Counter Strike and catching those waves really early. And so I think if to look at it. Um, I think you definitely want to have that combination of it's something you want to do so that when times get bad, you'll still do it. You know, like DJ, I think DJ AM said, uh, find something you love doing, do it all the time, find someone to pay you to do it. I think that is definitely the formula to follow. But to be very smart about where you put your effort in. So to be transparent, you know, I'm always looking at games that I like, that are popular, that will have um that that you know that the the youtube world is very receptive to their content where i see like it's a game that's going to be a good game to watch as an esport and then i take those games and i think all right which one of these do i want to play and try to grind and that's why i grind fortnite keep that door open in the future and that's what i would do today as somebody moving into a new game and i would basically for any of the younger fans out there i would say that to keep your eyes open for opportunities be very smart about what you, where you put your time and think very carefully about you know balancing between what you like doing which you should definitely think about but also that with is it an opportunity that makes sense you know two years from now you know will you be in a situation where you are supporting a game that can't support you and you know that's just you know i think you can have your cake in it and eat it too because there's lots of games out there but you have to be very careful um, I think that, yeah, yeah, I think that answer is actually really interesting because it sort of has the premise that CSGO is not going to have a resurgence. Um, do you think that's true? Do you think that the heyday of CSGO is, beyond, is past us and that, you know, we're going to have to move on to another game eventually? Or do you think that there is a chance of that CSGO is going to come back and be one of the top esports? I think it is one of the top esports. I think that in April, I would have probably said, wow, I'm actually kind of worried, you know, Dreamhack Marseille has 90k viewers for one of the best finals we've ever seen. And it's a tournament that didn't have a tournament overlapping it. And it feels like there's uh, definitely something to be worried about here. Fortnite adding um, a lot. Uh, uh, Fortnite comes in and adds a lot of infrastructure and money and everything to esports as a whole, which is great. Then also probably thins out the total amount of players and viewers in each individual title. So that was something. Um, and so I wondered at that point where CS would be. And at this point, you know, E-League just finished and it was like 100k viewers per game, which I actually think was healthier than Marseille, which is a good thing. And maybe there's some battle royale fatigue or who knows um, what, what the case may be. But I, I feel like even though the game is stabilizing now, I as a person uh would be i i don't know i don't know if cs will or will not ever like go back to where it was i think there's still some questions to be answered like for example we have never had a major that has had less viewership than the the uh the previous major so you know this face in major could potentially set a precedent in terms of how many viewers there are straight up and that will definitely tell us a lot um but i think that um you know the the thing that I think was was that was scaring people in April should be something that should uh, reinforce your confidence now you know because I feel like it, it's 
to to look back on all of the all of the years of Counter Strike and CS:GO specifically, and just five years of the exact same game in a game where they don't change the meta, where they consistently just refine it and change it very slightly, and you're at the end of the day you're saying playing the same seven maps in the same game. It's pretty amazing to have retained this many viewers and and um, this many players and everything like that. And so I don't think it's dying. I think it's good, and I think. Um, my prediction is that you know years from now, the games like that were that were really good and have uh, have been out for a very long time and have um, slowly developed and have fans that have matured with it and will stay with it. I think those games will have like some of the more um, enviable uh, viewership numbers and player based enough figures and everything like that than other esports that come and go. And so. I, I'm taking a much more mature stance than I was even a few months ago on where Counter-Strike will be. And I feel like it's a great game. People are, there's going to be a, a certain amount of people that I think is a very high number of people that will uh, never appreciate another game more than Counter-Strike. And I think we should look back on all of the effort we've put into making the game really good and see that that has actually brought us something that is really hard to replicate. And I don't expect another game to come in just like, uh, just take that away from Counter-Strike. I, I, don't, I don't think that Valve, who are one of the top developers in the entire planet with some of the smartest people in the world making games, uh, took this long to create a game that you could just simply replicate really quickly. So um, I'm, I'm personally confident in, a, in, in, in the future, but I am also keeping my eyes open to uh, do more than one game, which I actually think is one of the beautiful things about esports, you know, if you don't live and buy die by your sport like you would in traditional sports i mean i think the fluidity is actually really good and to be honest i mean even i've gotten bored of counter-strike so uh who am i to complain if a clone comes out or competitions comp uh, games that can keep it on keep it on keep it on its feet come out right i can i can go and play those games too i can go and make content in those games too definitely uh i mean just in a general as a general aside like I, i've been pretty disappointed with people's reaction to Counter-Strike's decline. It seems like a lot of people are jumping on the CSGO's dead meme. I think it sort of like passes over all the hard work that we've put into this game like as a community. Like I remember people are fighting for us to get you know, this game on the mainstream, to get it on TV was a huge milestone, and then all of a sudden Fortnite comes out and everyone's like, yep, CSGO is dead, like as a meme. It just sort of like pisses me off because so many people have dedicated such large sums of money and huge amounts of time in this game i just wish as a community we had a lot more pride in it sure but i don't know maybe i'm just uh, uh you know alone with those but we're yeah we're getting older and i think it's easier for us to see that you know we can kind of see things come and go right and and we can recognize that that's not like all of these fleeting feelings that people have for other games it's just like it's like people compare a game that you have spent five thousand hours playing with a game you have 200 hours in it's like you got to play that game for 5,000 hours before you can say if you like liked it as much as Counter-Strike. I mean, you definitely loved... In the first 1,000 hours, you were probably hooked and playing like 18 hours a day, you know? So yeah. I think people forget that, and that's probably because they're young. But, oh, um, for sure. Yeah. And it's sort of like to take the other side here. I think playing Counter-Strike Source, we had a very similar reaction. Well, maybe not, it didn't pick up as, one point, as much as 1.6, but in Source, I remember people would take this game so seriously and have very similar arguments and it just seemed like with this like randomly overnight it completely became totally dead like talking about zero viewership like really quick and we were on tv like i remember cgs and all of that stuff 
Ironic. And all of those guys now are, what are they doing? You know, they're not, most of them aren't in the scene, but I think it's important to sort of take a step back and look at the long run. And so I'm hoping that CSGO sort of lasts the test of time and does become that perennial game that we really hope it does. But I think it's going to definitely take a fight. You've talked about this like a couple of times, you know, why shouldn't you would be worried about the fact that if you look at the past, Counter-Strikes have just disappeared and StarCraft has died and all of these different things. Um, and I, 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 to that, I mean, I would definitely say I wasn't there for Source. I didn't watch it die. I probably, you know, I, I know what happened, but, um, and ironically, you know, CGS is probably a big part of that, um, just the way it was handled. But I, I, I definitely think that in this, like, time period between 2010 to 2013 there were a lot of games that just got unlucky uh because the esports money just started to come in um in a, in a really big way and create support structures for games to uh to think about the long term and for csgo it just happened to be like it was it was just it was after source csgo comes out csgo is trash when it first comes out <laughs> oh yeah um but it's just with this new wave of esports right and so it gets a lot of a care and attention and and changes a lot and develops and it's just a matter of timing really i mean the only reason that csgo probably there isn't a new cs is just because like that when csgo came out was the time where esports started and skin microtransactions started which was enormous and that allowed game developers to like put all their eggs in on games and like games like TF2 just barely missed that. You know, you a lot of people yeah. would say TF2 is a much better game than Overwatch, but it's not nearly as popular, unfortunately. Um, and it's probably the only reason Overwatch exists, like if we're being frank, but it just, it got unlucky. It was like right in that time period, like right before esports really, really took off here. I, I just hope you're right. You know, like I feel like it's really hard to make any claims if we've just not seen uh, games at this magnitude with so much financial backing uh, it's really hard because I know I think you've brought this up in interviews in the past I think as an outsider looking in we sort of glorify the amount of money and the amount of infrastructure that's actually there but once you're in it which I, I'm not but once you're in it you've said that like there's actually not that much like complex infrastructure built out for esports that a lot of people are just sort of throwing money at a game without quite understanding where that money would go. Has that view changed or do you still think that just having financial backing sort of increases the longevity of a game lasting? Um, I think that with some of the money that's come in and you know, you're obviously right about everything that you said, but I think like with, since people kind of made blind or uh, uninformed bets on like how to place their money within a game that has like uh I, I want to say has like artificially created a support structure for the like for our ecosystem where now people are have a sunk cost in their investment and will either it's like much easier for them to put 20 percent more down than it is for them mm -hmm. to go and make a bet somewhere else and so uh even if maybe they initially regretted putting money in i think and, and some investors have definitely been burned i think there's a a, a the money coming in has caused more money to come in and that has caused like accidental infrastructure that it ultimately is like created a way for it to almost be sustainable where enough people are in that it's like um everybody wants to make sure that it you know it was, it was worth their investment um and and uh what was the second part to your question i 
Well, yeah, I was just wondering if just financial backing is enough to secure long-term longevity of a game. Oh, I mean, no. I think another thing about you know this period between 2011 and 2013 was Twitch. And I, I, I think the experiment of, well, people watch people play games, which was the burning question that is that has caused so much money to come into esports and i think ultimately like so much of this just comes back to the twitch experiment working and people learning something that i didn't think was made any sense you know i didn't think anybody would want to watch somebody play games i was a person who liked playing games but i'm also the right. creator so i'm like a little biased um but I, like even i watch streams you know i i feel like uh that's that's basically the I think that's the um, at the core of it. That's the most important thing, and that's the thing that's working the best. And so I think no matter you know how the money exchanges hands um, at a at some kind of tertiary level or whatever, the at the core of it you have Twitch and people putting numbers in. You know, making these streams enormous, whether or not they run well, whether or not they're this game or that game or in this year or that year, like. There's just going to be this enormous amount of people that want to watch people play video games, and like this maybe uh, more niche, but still enormous amount of people that want to watch people play uh, like competitive video games. And I think that that it, like ultimately should be. I think that that's what I view as giving me the most amount of faith in the future for uh, totally. games. Yeah, uh, I think Forbes recently sort of noted that esports as an industry has grown 38% since 2017. Wow. Uh, it just sort of begs begs me to question, like, where's this money going? You know, is it going to the players? Is it going to the organizations? Is it going into tournaments? I think that also has, like, a really important uh, factor into the longevity of sports. You know, ultimately, if players aren't getting paid well and the orgs are making a lot of money, then it sort of, like, fucks over the player and disincentivizes new talent to come in. Do you have a, a thought on this? Like, there, you know, there's definitely things like G two players on G two get between twenty five and thirty thousand dollars a month each, and they're not even like a top five team. And then you have BP in the same boat; they're literally like a top twenty team. And there's a lot of examples yeah. of that. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think like it's really important to look at salaries sort of agnostically. Like, of course, I'm gonna not, I'm not gonna say 100k is small amount of money in any respect but i think it's also important to look at things from sort of a macro level like how much money does a certain player bring to the team i think you have to factor in personality talent winning tournaments like how many eyes are on them and i honestly think uh, that players are super undervalued for these organizations uh, for the amount of revenue and our amount of viewership they get like look at traditional tv these viewership numbers are way less than a lot of these big tournaments and players are settling with 100K, 150K. I think that's not going to last in the long run because more and more over time, players are realizing how important of an asset they are to these organizations. Like this is truly the heart of an org are the people representing it. And so I think orgs have gotten away with paying players a really small amount of money because any 15, 18, even 20 year old is really happy to fucking, you know, go to the bank with that 100K check. But ultimately, they're still getting shafted because they're bringing in so much more than 100K. They're clearly worth that much. And so people like Scoots are doing an amazing job of, like, 
wait a second, like, let's take a step back. 100K is a lot of money, but they're worth so much more. Like, we need to unionize and make sure that all orgs are treating their players fairly because for a long time, it feels like orgs are just sort of cashing in on these young kids, which I feel like is ultimately an unsustainable environment for esports to grow in the long term. So if you think in these examples of G2 and VP who are like um, underperforming teams and, you know, teams initially that were probably worth it, but maybe are now underperforming. If, if you think that these numbers aren't even that high in general, then do you, where do you think, do you think that, where are the pain points for where people are spending money in esports or do you think that there are pain points? Yeah, I, I think that it fluctuates either way. Um, with a team like G2 or VP, like, they've been pretty disappointing recently. And they sort of got, you know, they signed a contract clearly because they're not being, they're not shifting around at all, which you would think that VP would make some sort of big change um, in particular. But I ultimately think that in a game like CSGO, uh, you know, I'm actually on the side of VP and G2 to hold on to these players and keep paying them those sums of money because. If you look at a game like CSGO, I think you know that it's not going to last 20, 30 years like a traditional job. So getting paid those large sums of money, I think is ultimately beneficial for the players because, you know, they're not going to be able to sustain. Like, what are they going to do next if CSGO dies, especially if you're on VP? Like, they haven't been building a brand or anything. I think that that's a fair amount of money. And leave, like... That like phase and everyone to get those hundreds and maybe even millions of dollars per player. But I think that even like 100K, that's totally fair. This isn't a sustainable thing. I think the industry really needs to wake up to that. Like even though a team isn't performing, they're still bringing in money and they're still like doing a reputable, you know, having a reputable brand. And that's totally separate from a team's performance in a tournament. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just the fact that we know we love Pasha and he has some weight to him. Like, Give him his fair share. Okay. Like, let him have that. Money. So, what, what about other places that people are spending? Like, do you think anyone's wasting money in esports, or do you think people are oh. not even spending as much as they should be? Oh, I think people are spending a lot. So, it's sort of like a, I have a twofold answer. Like, I feel like people are spending a lot of money in the wrong ways completely. I think this whole trend towards making esports like a traditional sport, like in terms of coverage, in terms of venues, it takes away from the beauty of esports. And I think an uh, event that truly gets this is Summit, where it has like that local land feel, like play to the competitive advantages of an esport event, right? Like that local feel, um, have those personalities really drive the tournament. Don't make it like some wasted, huge, big, you know, performance. It's cool to see like production value obviously has been stellar for almost for a long time in CSGO. But I just hate this trend of throwing money towards these huge, like, wasted arenas and all this stuff. Like, focus on the players. That money should be funneling to them. Those are the people who are really carrying the, you know, carrying this growth in the industry. Yeah, it's isn't it interesting how it at the end of the day, all of the money comes back to the individual and almost less so how good they are, but, you know, how much people like them in general. Uh, and 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 the fact that you highlighted with these big grandiose stages in these sold out arena arenas that are always losing money by the way i don't think any lands ever actually make or turn a profit um people are constantly still trying to replicate this like very professional very um very rigid very just just large in scale um 
like insane atmosphere type venues with like huge prize pools and everything. But uh, an event like the summit just does so much more for individuals, uh, individual basis, and also provides the same like very fun to watch gameplay. Maybe not quite as high level, but still very right. fun to watch. Well, I mean, I think what Summit has better than any other venue is they know what's driving viewership. It's not these huge venues or whatever. It's these personalities and having it doesn't even need to be like top tier amazing. It just has to have drama and a narrative. Mm -hmm. And Summit does that so beautifully. I think their last CSGO tournament was like the only one where I could actually tell a difference between like, you know, ESL versus Face It or whatever. It sort of blends and meshes together. But summit i was like man this is the event because it's so different and it knows exactly who the viewer is uh and so i just feel like esports right now especially competitive like top tier esl type stuff it's sort of like an insecure high school kid who buys a hummer <laughs> and you know you know what i mean like they're just putting a lot of money into trying to appear really cool but later on in college when they discover themselves they know that they just have that magnetism just by being themselves they still gotta <laughs> get their dick pumped yeah, you know yeah. it, bro. <laughs> okay, I actually have a few questions for you as well, particularly about CSGO. Um, you've done a lot of interviews, you know, with your experience at Yahoo and just your general YouTube channel. I've seen a lot. And you seem to always highlight how unique each player is and what exactly they bring to a team. I, I sort of want to ask you the opposite. You know, what similarities do you see between professional players throughout all of your experience and in interviews? Yeah, I think um, by asking those questions, I'm trying to kind of seek that that similar that answer. I think uh, I, I I'm always trying to. I think what made what makes me have an affinity for doing interviews is um, especially what, with CS:GO players in particular is just trying to figure out what makes them who they are, and I'm always trying to find out where the common ground is, so that you know, like when I was playing, for example, I loved it because. I would watch an interview or do an interview and I would learn something I could take with me into my game. You know, I'm always trying to like figure out um, what these common personality traits are just to create the archetype that is a CSGO pro. And I, I think that um, one, of the, one of the primary ones is confidence that you see on some level. I think you, you hear about a lot of players being like awkward or nervous or whatever, but in some way they have a confidence that not just that that a lot of other kids wouldn't have and i think that people are somewhat judgmental when it comes to i think they hold every player to the same standard that you would hold any athlete or any professional but they forget that the kid is like 18 years old and that if they were in that position they would be like a lot more nervous and it actually is striking i think to me how confident some of these kids are um even if they kind of can't uh even if they kind of can't uh, articulate themselves. Like I would say Stewie was, you know, not great at interviews, but you could just see the confidence still, like no matter what, even like, just as a person when they were talking to themselves. And I'm sure, and it and definitely translated more even when they're in game. Um, the will to win is, is another big one. Something we talked about earlier, just this, uh, just this thing that all athletes have that it, they just absolutely die uh, when they lose. Uh, they, they die inside when they lose. Um, this is something that all successful pros have uh, to some ex to some extreme. I, I think is the is the key thing. Like you, you just don't get that far. You just don't get through all those bad practices. You just don't get through losing. You know, eighty percent of your games on your way up to better teams. 
and still play without having this like um un this this con this this perpetually burning desire to win and maybe specifically not lose i don't know but to like have to win and that's another common feature um, yeah apart from that i think like i said a lot of i think when someone's really good at something they actually have trouble explaining it a lot of the times and some people have the ability to sing and dance and they're fortunate you know there's players like automatic who can 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 totally explain to you exactly why they peak something in a certain situation if you reference around they'll be able to bring that back right back up to their memory and and decrypt exactly what they were trying to what they were thinking about or why they did it and then there are other players who just cannot do that you know like i don't think shroud when i've heard shroud so i'd explain the mechanics to somebody and just had no idea like i, I think to him it felt like like what what the fuck are they even asking me you know like you hold the mouse you click on them and and uh, you know for whatever reason i think people some people who are very good just can't go back to when they learned and explain exactly how they did it Oh, totally. I mean, I feel like all the interviews that you do, it seems like the other person's super motivated. Uh, you know, just sort of going off of that, you've been in esports on and off for a long time, it seems like. Um, what keeps you motivated? Because I remember you speaking in a previous episode of This Esports Life that you really don't want to be stuck in the same place for too long and that it looks like trends are you know, shifting towards moving around. In the, at the same time, it seems like you really want to sort of plant your feet in the esports industry. So what keeps you motivated every day? What keeps me motivated every day? Um, I don't know what else I would do. Like I, everything that I've ever committed to was the thing I was convinced that I would do forever. I do clothes. I was like, I'm going to do this forever. Like I wanted to be a director. You know, I want to be a, a teacher. I want to like all these things. I just was like. Because I don't understand a world where you would want to do something or commit like four years of school to or whatever if you weren't going to do it forever. So um, esports is just the next thing that I want to do forever. And it's constantly provided me more and more opportunities and stuff. Um, I don't love it for the same reasons that I used to. I don't like love C. I mean, I love CSGO, but I don't like it's not the same kind of love that I had for it when I couldn't stop playing it every single day. Instead, now I think about um, all of the skills that it's taught me now and like what those opportunities, what opportunities have come from those skills now. Like I really enjoy casting way more than I ever did. Um, I, you know, maybe, I maybe didn't like enjoy everything in the kind of like, but I think, sorry to make this more convoluted, but no, with, with playing the game, it's just such like, I don't know, hedonistic is the right word. Like it's just so like gratifying on like a very like primal level that like i feel like that's very hard to get from anything else professionally like doing an interview is talking about the game and you like it because it has to do a counter-strike but ultimately would you rather be playing the game like for me kind of and so a uh, part of it is you know i'm getting older and my interests are starting to change and i'm developing these more acquired tastes that i've gotten as a symptom of all the time that i've spent playing um, but it's led me to do a bunch of things that i'm in interested about how much I'll like in the future. So to kind of answer your question, I think like I, what keeps me going every day is that like I, the, the, the prospect of getting, becoming a very good caster and my brand blowing up and uh, potentially, you know, having Boxer become this like giant thing and seeing all of these things get to a place where I have no idea what it would feel like to be there. Those things are what are really motivating for me. Um, and I definitely am somebody who, 
has always wanted to be a specialist. Like I've always wanted to be the best at one thing, but it's, I, I don't know if it's ironic, but like somehow that has led me to try so many different things. And now I'm in a place where I'm thankful that I tried so many different things because it's allowed me to keep my doors open for the future. Like I see people, um, and not to like call anyone out, but like, you know, there's commentators that are like very either depressed or sad that they don't get work and stuff. And it's like, there were periods of times where I couldn't cast, but I didn't care because I was just doing something else. Um, and so I was just, I guess I'm very grateful that I had the accidental foresight to, to like start other things, you know, start doing clothes, start making videos, just try new things. And like now they've gone to a point where like can actually make money off of them, can actually get new opportunities from them by chance. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Boxer, which is obviously like, you know, one of your, basically one of your children. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. you know, why did you start Boxer? Like what is sort of, what void does Boxer fill in the space of like esports brands or esports apparel? I think the void that it fills is at its core, like the only reason we can continue to contribute to it and try to watch it grow at this like kind of like slower pace, just on the side, but still like at the same time, very intently, still with like a lot of our attention and love is just because like I was telling Luke and I think Nathan the other day, like imagine if we didn't have Boxer, like I... And then for me, and on a selfish level, like I wanted to own something, and I think at this point it's fair to say, like, I would not want to even tr to attempt to run Boxer by myself or say that I owned it alone. It's totally something that is a project of of us as like the guys who are controlling the money and decisions. Me, Nathan Taylor, and Luke, but then also the community who like we're selling close to, who we look to to like to be able to say that we have a reputation to like say that we're organic, all these very important things. And that's something I just wanted to remind people that like for every company that, you know, they, people, you, you hear fake YouTubers say, and very, people are very savvy. Now you hear YouTubers say that, you know, they love their fans and their fans are the only reason they exist. And there is definitely some, to some level they're doing that because that is their job and they know that that'll get them views and make people happy. But in a very real way, like there is, no separating a company from its supporters like there was just no way like that company uses their supporters to get them more money to get them more attention to get you know they use they step on them basically and and i think they don't have to treat them with respect but they should um and we just don't see the our supporters and our team and myself as like being separate these are all things that are um are one but in terms of what value we create in the in the space is we're one of the few remaining legacy esports brands that never got picked up you know i see myself a i see boxer as like a male sports where um they were they were a brand that's just been around just been kicking and kicking the ball around for like years with different teams not making a ton of money uh kind of waiting for their opportunity and then they got picked up I feel like that's just basically bound to happen with Boxer where, you know, at us down the line, we would love to take on, uh, you know, be the brand for a basketball team or something like that. I mean, we don't, we don't, we aren't committed to trying to get there like completely alone. That's not something we uh, are intent on doing. Our, our part of the deal is we want to create, we want to create clothing that 
people can wear anywhere, whether it's at esports event or otherwise. And that's something that you're seeing teams do now. Like FaZe, they do t-shirts for jerseys. Mel Sports do t-shirts for jerseys. 100 Thieves do basketball jerseys for jerseys. You know, everyone's not doing these kind of like racing gear type shirts for jerseys. We were doing that for a long time. We were just never big enough to take credit for it. Um, but that's kind of the same, like similar vein of thinking. So we're kind of trying to create the merchandise store for a potential future organization to use for their team because we feel like merchandising is very important and we feel like it's something that teams do after the fact and then figure out that you know it doesn't work for them like i think like misfits aren't probably aren't doing that well right now and they were just a brand that maybe wasn't big enough or mature enough or didn't have enough clout in the scene and they got invested in by miami heat but now don't have their csgo team or a league of legends team or something i feel like there's not enough teams out there that have someone like me who is authentic has been there from day one who's not going to embarrass a sponsor who comes into the space who uh has a good reputation who's never had like some kind of like gambling drama or some kind of crazy bullshit like that um and can represent the brand in a very like authentic way and then uh we will we plan to kind of pair that with the ability to monetize a store that we hope to make big enough that it's appealing to a brand that wants to come in and take on box and use boxer as kind of like the face of their esports arm if that makes sense oh no it totally does uh, huge fan of Boxer. Love that. Love the shirts. And we'll stuff. send you free shit, dude. No worries. Oh, dude, come on. That's the yeah. point of this interview, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end it now then. <laughs> uh, I also had a, you mentioned legacy in your answer, which I find particularly interesting. Um, what do you want your legacy to be, both in esports and sort of just as a general, like, personal goal? Legacy is, all, like, a, for me, I've said this before, but I like my goal was to be remembered forever. That was my goal. I never had, as soon as I got a computer, you know, I watched the zeitgeist and then I told my parents I was going to be religious. And then I, you know, I just rejected all of that. And so like, I didn't have like a God in a sense in, in my formative years in high school and in university. I mean, and now I'm not religious either. I'm more so agnostic than anything else now, but uh, I was like more vehemently re like anti-religion um, for most of my de developmental years. And I'd say that my counter to that, to creating meaning in life was to say, all right, well, if I'm remembered forever, I'm just as good uh, as if there is like some kind of God to reward me uh, when I die. So I think that, I don't know, I actually don't know if that's the reason that I think that way, but I think it might be. And so um, I think when I started out, it was to try to be remembered forever. To be, I wanted to be famous because I felt like being famous meant that you would have a voice. Uh, it meant that people would listen to you. And I loved teaching people and telling people what to do. So I figured, you know, the bigger the platform, you're better, the better. Um, I felt like all the people I thought were amazing were famous. And I didn't think that was a coincidence. I wanted to be, yeah, remembered forever. I think that was a primary goal um what was it was it was the other question was the question about the uh, boxer as well the yeah exactly like what do you want boxer to be sort of you know legacy wise so you know i want boxer to continue to be what it is now i love what it is now i think i've seen enough success that i know what it looks like to look back on a time like this for boxer 
where Boxer is in its infancy and uh, it doesn't have, it can't exactly see what it'll be like in a couple of years. I know what it's like to look back on that. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I, like, that's exactly what I would tell myself three years ago is to cherish these moments, you know, like to like think about like the journey and really just enjoy every moment and just like be authentic and genuine um, the entire way through every day. You know, even if it takes longer to get to where you want to be, like really just like appreciate um, that infancy because it's something beautiful and the journey is really fun and it doesn't necessarily get better than the journey itself. Um, Like that saying, it's, it's super true. Like it's uh, it really is about just like, all that time you spend building, you know, um, you get to like, you build, you spend all the time building the house and learning the skills to, you know, wire, uh, to wire the circuits and every, all the, all the stuff to, to, to get the complete package and all the stuff. You don't know if you can do it first. And at first you're like super scared. And once you're all done, you sit back and you have a beer on the porch and you look at it for like a few minutes. And then that's like as good as it gets, you know? And after that you go on to do something else. So most of that time you spent learning, you spent building the house. That's the time you've got to appreciate it because it's going to be most of the time. So I think for Boxer, I want to just have it. I, I like where how like I like the team so much right now. I like how we're how we're approaching things, and so I just want to keep chugging along at our pace and doing exactly what we're doing now, and just constantly throw bets down on random. Uh, one in 50 chances, you know, just throw a little bit of money down in all these different areas or with in a, in a better analogy, just like give our attention to different types of things like trying, uh, you know, like we took a different direction with this merchandise release where it was very simple. It wasn't very streetwear. It was simply like pastel clothing, simple logo and stuff. I encourage our team right now to try to do different things now because this is the beginning. You know, I think when you're in it, it feels like it's near the end at all times but uh, if you can see it from like a very like if you can really just see it from the outside i think we'll look back on this time as being very early on and we should definitely try to find out what our style is and our personality is and all that stuff and don't be too hard on ourselves and don't be too critical of ourselves just keep trying new stuff so yeah keep doing what we're doing and just keep like every time we have like um uh like any time we have like just like a whiff of inspiration to try something new to go, let's go ahead and try it. Let's do that. See where it goes. Yeah, I really love that. You know, just sort of embracing the unpredictable, you know, I think that definitely seems to be a prevalent, you know, and throughout most of your career, you know, this isn't really carved mm-hmm. out for you, unfortunately, like a, you know, a finance career or something where there's clear ladders and rungs and milestones to hit. I think sort of, you need to have that perspective to really thrive. I think a lot of your, you know, fans and followers and people who sort of know your career in general know how sort of up and down it is, especially like recently with Yahoo, moving to America, stuff not working out, going back to Canada, you know, and and I remember actually having a conversation with you about how you sort of you know, once you found out you're going back to Canada, you started taking walks, you started really enjoying yourself. Uh, And it sort of reminded me, you know, on the topic of legacy of having like your last week alive. So I want to pose a sort of a philosophical question to you. Um, If I gave you a timer that listed exactly when you would die, would that change your decision making in your career at all? Or are you just sort of living in that, you know, unknown impromptu environment? You know, I have no idea. I 
try to I've seen like you know I've never lost anyone very close to me I've seen what it can do um I know like it, it's it's weird like I like I've seen like my I don't know I, I've had a friend who's lost someone very close to them and then you know they disappeared for like two months and then came back and totally changed like everything like their whole situation everything about them really and uh they weren't in a good place and then they were in a good place and i don't know you know what it what it felt like for them to lose that person that was very close to them and but it like in some very sick sense not sixth sense not like the m night shot <laughs> like some very just like bad like terrible at sixth sense i was envious of the thought that they could have that experience just the positive part of it where they understand i think um more viscerally what it means to um not be around forever and to appreciate the time that they have left and you could kind of see in their actions like how that was dealt with and i've always said to myself i never want to be in a position where i that hits me in the face and i'm very scared about not knowing what that feels like um and so i try to do a little bit more every day i think to a certain point i can't go as extreme as just like what it would feel like to, for that something terrible to happen to me um but i try to do a little bit better all the time to you know um appreciate the time that we have because i think that like that's something that's smart for me to do basically um i think if it so I, to, to answer your question i don't know you know if, if you gave me a timer i think that'd be the same thing as saying like you know what would what would it feel like if you just lost someone right now like I, I don't know you know i don't know what the answer to the question is um i think i would say like i would probably fucking um go do a bunch of drugs that i never tried and like a casino <laughs> and like max out some credit cards and all that stuff but oh, yeah but in reality i'd probably probably i imagine i would just do a little like a more than what i'm doing now which is like taking time to appreciate what's in front of me work a little bit harder every day uh try to take care of myself and just uh i i imagine i'd probably be more brave i'd hopefully be more brave like you know just there's still like i'm still not brave enough to like walk up to every girl that i think is cute and ask for their number i hope i, ho I would hope that like maybe i'd have that confidence to just you know go ahead and um like hand girls my phone just play picture number in bed or something but oh i don't know like i that's all i pretty much would hope for that i would be able to do is be just have a concrete understanding of like i'm that's like it's you know it's it all comes to an end you know like i need to appreciate this time um that's all i i guess i love that i think that it's really interesting to talk to someone who really introspects on dying like you know a lot on legacy and a lot on focusing on death in particular and i think it's a really good thing that you're actually in the scene because you see a lot of these people who are really young and they don't really quite understand that everything is going to change, you know, whether it's the state of the game, whether it's, you know, people are going to die. And the only thing that's in your control is, you know, how you react to it. So just because CSGO may be on the decline shouldn't change your actions if you're truly inclined, you know, to make content. You should just fucking do it. Because if that's what you're born to do is to make bunny hopping videos on YouTube, 
and fucking do it because that's the only thing that's in your control right that's the only thing you're good at launder is (laughs) exactly what i'm trying to say (laughs) go back to your roots dog we need those fucking bunny hop videos (laughs) but i just wanted to i mean that was sort of my last question i think it's a a good place to stop talking about legacy but i wanted to thank you you know for the opportunity to just talk to you and it's really great to have someone authentic in an industry that may not be so, you know, genuine in a lot of aspects. Great to have a really open and honest conversation. So don't want to brown nose too much, but it's been, uh, it's been really cool having sort of satelliting your career mm-hmm. and just looking at how far you've come. So Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show. I, I can't be, sur- <laughs> I shouldn't be surprised that... Um, somebody with an ego as big as yours somehow was able to make a podcast that was literally about one person and one person's life all about them um not not surprised at all but uh, oh dude listen was... like uh, this podcast is totally for you <laughs> yeah, but if your viewers are interested check out twitch.tv slash squeaks 15 for the top counter-strike content and other games but this was totally for your sake. Like, I'm not a sellout yeah. at all. No, I mean, I, I encourage it because, you know, sometimes that guy plays with a famous guy named Launders and that makes the content so much better. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. for sure. But sometimes Launders is grace with my presence. And it, it's really embarrassing to have a famous celebrity like Launders not be global. So it's good to have, you know, better, more talented people that slipped under the radar in the scene to help bolster you up. You know, what are right. you, L.E.M.? or? Yeah, you know, I just didn't want to stay like too far ahead of you because I think that I don't think we'd be able to queue up in matchmaking. So if you're like too low of a rank, what do you like, DMG or something like that? Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. So yeah. I don't like discriminate who I play with. You know, some unlike some popular streamers. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, people who host, you know, yeah, you uh, a brand of some kind. But I, I just I like to play with everyone because I'm a little more open. But gotcha. <laughs> but thanks, man. I, I really uh, had fun. It was a good combo. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks, man.